This is an excellent rally for the Cannonball. And oh, wow. Welcome to the Two Doc Chronicles, your one solution to all things squash. I'm Bruce Huberman with co-host Miles McIntyre, here to reveal a game with stories worth listening to. I would like to welcome everyone to the Two Doc Chronicles podcast. This is season two, episode four, a view from across the pond. We are very, very fortunate today to have two incredible, incredible guests. Um, we have James Maddox from England, um, and if you don't know who he is, he'll bring him on in just a sec, and he'll introduce himself, and he'll give you his uh, his story, his history, and and now his uh, he's immersed in the squash scene throughout the world, and uh, we're really happy to have him on today. And we have Adrian Grant, a another Englishman um, who lives here in New York City, and. Um, a former top nine player in the world. And uh, he has a lot to say and his experience both in England and now being in the US, I think will be very elucidating to our audience. And uh, before we get started, I'd like to talk about our sponsor, Squash RX. This episode of the Two Dot Chronicles podcast is sponsored by Squash RX. Squash RX is located in the Northeast in New York City with facilities in Midtown, the Financial District, Long Island City, Queens, and a New Canaan, Connecticut location. Squash RX provides players of all ages and abilities to play, learn, and connect with each other. The team, with a recognized international coaching staff, is focused on maximizing the potential of all its players. The junior program enrolls players from the ages of 5 to 18 as a fun and inspiring vehicle to develop skills, athleticism, and mental toughness, as well as to foster social skills with cooperative learning and sportsmanship. Squash RX stands behind their prescription. Aim for excellence in everything you do. Squash RX can be located on the web at squashrx.com, or you can phone them at 917-818-2140. That's 917-818-2140. Before we get started, I'd like to welcome our esteemed co-host, Miles McIntyre, who has been plugging away back at UVA and getting ready for the season and uh, couldn't be more pumped up. So how are you, Miles? I'm doing well, Bruce. Thanks for, thanks for uh, getting this together. I'm excited yeah, to talk to these guys. I've, I've grown up watching Adrian and I've read the stories on Squash Stories, so I know Jamie's name pretty well. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, okay. but yeah, it's great to see you again. Fantastic. So before we get started and going into anything, I was just going to ask you guys, Maybe you wanted to comment on um, the thoughts of the passing of the queen and the escalation of Charles uh, to the throne. So, uh, Jamie, you have any thoughts on that or how? Uh, well, I mean, it's the same as a lot of people in, in this country. You know, it was we've, we've grown up with the queen. She's been there in the background giving us this kind of 
you get this kind of secure feeling from from the royal family, and it is a very strange feeling that she's not going to be around anymore. But um, we have lost the queen, but we've gained a king, I guess. And um, sounds like a chess move, but it's um, the the king actually now. What apparently, as the story goes, was born while his father, the Duke of Edinburgh, was playing squash. No so way. That, that that apparently is a true story. I don't know. I don't know. There was a, there's a private court in Buckingham Palace, and the Duke was playing when Charles was born. So we've got a connection to our sport. So we can't we can't really complain. But yeah, it was. Uh, I was going to ask you about that if there is a connection, and that's obviously a huge connection right from yeah. birth. <laughs> well, well, the Duke of Edinburgh was the old patron of the SRA, which was the Squash Rackets Association. So he, he, uh, you know, was very involved in squash. So there is, there's definitely a, been a royal connection with squash from its beginnings. I think. Yeah, I think it's. Um, you know, I think there was a lot of questions about Charles and his ability, maybe to to you know take the throne. But uh, it seems that things have stabilized, and I think. Uh, Hopefully, you'll have the you know the right intentions and continue on her legacy. And yeah, uh, definitely hope so. What do you think, Adrian? Any any thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, she throughout my childhood, she is weird that she's passed away because she was like immortal to me. You know, um, throughout my whole childhood um, and obviously adulthood, she was the constant figurehead. Um, and look, it's any death at all is it, sad. Um, you know, and I know that. England and around the world in mourning. Um, but like Jamie said, you know, the king now rises. And I think Charles is a very, very patient man because I don't know how long he's been waiting. <laughs> <in that> position. <laughs> I'd be good to find out how long that actually is. But, um, you know, like I said, I think in this day and age, you know, with the uh, Z generation, I think, you know, it's, it's, a, it's credit to them that they've been able to keep, you know, the royalty, the royal family, because that's kind of, you could say nowadays it's not as present or as respected. Maybe that's the new generation, but you know she was definitely um, you know a figurehead for a lot of people, um, and she you know impacted a lot of people's lives. So yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's been a lot. So um, yeah, she was a legend and uh, seemed like it'd be a great woman. But uh, all right, so uh, we're going to get started. And uh, so Jamie, for the people across the pond and throughout the world who don't know who you are, why don't you give us a little brief background and how you got involved, and now you are the uh, you know, main cog of Squash Stories and uh, providing a lot of great info you know, for people on Facebook. And uh, you know, one day maybe you'll get onto Instagram, because I, th- I think I spend more time on Instagram than Facebook. But um, yeah, I think your site has really provided some great info, some great banter. It's so current. And uh, we really appreciate everything you've done. So maybe you can update our audience a little bit, Jamie, and how we found each other. <laughs> oh, okay, so what do you want to know first, Bruce? How I got involved in squash? Yeah, sure. Um, okay, so I was looking for a sport when I was 21. I went back to college and they had a couple of squash courts that weren't being used. So um, I started playing squash at college at 21, got pretty good almost straight away didn't couldn't play didn't know about technique or anything but could get around the court beat the guys who were at the college who'd been playing there a few years so I realized I was okay and then I started at a proper club and I won the club championship after like two years 
So I, I was kind of sort of heading in the right direction. But I was a squash fan. You know, I never ever in my wildest dreams thought that I'd get to a level where I could play these guys and compete with them. And that, and that's what happened. So it was a real thrill. But I mean, obviously, when I played the top guys, I, I used to get wiped out. But I, I managed to compete with the, the, the level slightly below that. So by 28, in sort of seven years of playing, I was I played in the British Open a couple of times and got f- through a few of the qualifying rounds. So I was kind of, you know, I, I, my dream was my dream come true. But I think that's the key. I think if you have got the as I was a squash fan and a big enthusiast, I never lost that that enthusiasm for the game and for the and for the history of the game. So I think a lot of top players wouldn't want to do what I did because they've kind of been there and got the t-shirt. It needed somebody who not only you know was a decent player but but was a fan as well, and I think that's that's been quite important. And that was and that's basically it really. And then um, in terms of well, you, you can tell everyone about you know this is. Today you're a professional photographer and a very a successful one. And yeah. um, so, has that in, have you used that at all with the squash world? Or um, well, it's funny because about ten years ago, I got a call from an agency who I did some work for, and they just landed the England Squash account uh, when they were rebranding the whole thing. Adrian will probably remember this. They, they changed the logo, which didn't go down very well, but they did a few other things, and they had a bit of money at the time and they actually did a photography campaign where I shot, I, I, I got the job as the photographer. So I had the England players in a studio um, and I shot all the, all those huge black and white pictures of James Wilstrop and all those people. So it was, but it was a coincidence. And so when I was doing the shoot, obviously I was kind of, we were in a studio and I, they didn't, some of them didn't know me and they thought I was just a photographer telling them what, how to hold the racket and what to do. So it was kind of funny, really, um, because I knew what looked right and what didn't. And they were a bit surprised, you know, but the shots went well. I think they're still being used somewhere. But I think Adrian will probably remember that, those pictures, even though I don't think he was there. But um, I think it was Alistair Walker, James Wilstrop. Uh, I can't remember a few others, but yeah, so that's, that's the only way there's been a crossover, really. I've not done any event photography to do with squash. I don't really want to, to be honest. But oh, you know, I, I don't. I don't blame. I don't. I don't blame you. Do you remember that, Adrian? I remember the photographs. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, definitely uh, at the time they were very present, and you know we needed something a bit more out there. Because I think you know squash. I think when you get kind of like when you think of squash. Straight away, I think of how it's going to look before it's even out, right? You kind of have this template of what it's going to look, the colours and the set down. And, you know, that, that shot that Jamie done, all those shoots, um, definitely stood out and it's very different. And I think that's, that's definitely what we need just to get non-squash people just even looking in the first place, you know? Yeah. I were they, <clears throat> were so they the on. ones... Sorry. Bruce, before you go on, were they the ones that were... What was was it an action shot or was it just a like a portrait? Yeah, they were they were shot in a studio, so it was like a white background. But they were they were we used I think they were used in black and white, and they were they were kind of um, so you'd think to yourself, well, it's you know that's a bit false, but they'd be, be, you were like it allowed you the viewer to really look at the the player and the action, and you could see the there was nothing distracting in the background, so it was kind yeah. of and you could drop text in all around it really easily for posters and for so it was it was 
it was a nice way of, of getting the message over. So it was, they, were, they used them very well, I thought. I was pleased yeah. with what they did, but yeah. Terrific. Cool. I just have one more question and then we'll, uh, we'll move over a little bit and get a little bit of Adrian's background. But um, so Squash Stories, Jamie, how did that uh, come about? And uh, obviously it's been pretty successful at this point. And um, yeah, well, it was, it, was, it was its 12th birthday about a week or two ago. So it's been it's twelve years old, but initially was um, you know it didn't have that many members for a while, and it was just something that my, my friend and I who started playing squash together. A bit, you know, we played played for years and years, and we we always when we meet up, we always talk, we always go through the stories of the weird things that had happened, the players that we played, incidents that other people might not even remember. You know, and we we talk, we used to talk about them a lot, and I just thought it'd be a great way of sharing them within a small sphere of, of squash people but I, I had no idea obviously at that point it was going to be it was going to get as big as, as it as it's got so um but yeah that's how it started it was just to tell a few stories really and, and let me ask you a question how much time do you think you spend on that per day now yes um 23 and a half hours <laughs> <laughs> no um, I, I, I have no idea i've never timed myself but because I'm editing photographs all the time for my job, it's a nice little break. So I'm sat at my PC and I'll do 20 minutes editing, 20 minutes squash stories, and then I'll start editing again. And then something will pop into my mind about squash as so I'll go back to it. So it's kind of, but now I feel like I need to be consistent with it. So every single day, regardless of what happens, there'll be some content goes on. That's what I try and do anyway. Yeah, so. and it's hard in my in my profession to uh, you know see a lot of patients you know during the day, and it's hard for me to like focus on you know uh, the podcast during the day, and then at nighttime you know come home, and it's it's hard. Yeah. I mean, it's so much dedication, but uh, I can get lost. Your job's a bit more responsible than mine, Bruce. I think <laughs> I can afford to go AWOL a little bit, whereas I guess you can't really. Well, you have, I mean, my objects are, I guess, animate or nowhere, and yours are inanimate, maybe. But um, yeah, it's fantastic. So, um, Adrian, so happy you're yes. here. And I've got, you know, a chance to know you over, you know, last four or five years. And um, you've had some, you know, work with my son and he, he adores you and he thinks you're phenomenal and uh, always enjoys seeing you and chatting and working on court. And uh, so give us, uh, you know, your uh, history and when you started playing squash and how that, you know, came about. And, um, you know, we'll go from there through your life on, you know, on the PSA and uh, some of your competition. And you got a great story. And uh, you. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty long, so I I don't want to take up everyone's time. No, it's okay. I'll I'll skate around the edges. so I actually fell into squash just by chance. Uh, my dad, he he was a strong, you know, advocate squash player. We used to play. At, uh, he used to play at Southbank Club in London, and I believe they had the British Open there in the seventies. It was like an old uh, movie complex, and the top floor they still kept the seats, so it was kind of like an oval shape. And then overlooking those were three glass back courts. Um, so you know. There he played and he dragged me there. My mum was working nights. Um, I was, what, eight, nine years old. Uh, you know, I sat there bored watching two old farts run around on court. But then his playing partners would bring their kids. So that all of a sudden there was a group of kids there and we're like, well, let's do something. 
We went around the back, caused mischief, playing on court, football. Then we found the rackets and it just kind of gravitated from there. And it was always, for me, it was always a thing of, it was what my friends done, right? So because I had that group of friends that was hanging out with, we had something in common. And then I just kind of, I came around and it was one of five sports I was competing in. Um, and I never really, I was never a junior, even when I was winning uh, British Junior Championships, uh, you know, under 19 Europeans, I was never obsessed with it in terms of, I want to go pro, I want to be world number one. You know, there was the Nick Matthews of the world, that close friends of mine that had that, you know, he would have posters up on the wall of, you know, his idols. But I, it, it, that was just never me. I was just so immersed in doing multiple things. And I think that's, for me, that works. And it kept me fresh, right? Um, then when I got to uh, 18, I had to kind of, you know, pick what I wanted to do. And out of everything, squash was, for me, it was a no-brainer. I just really enjoyed the one-on-one competitiveness. Um, you know, I was doing soccer. I was doing basketball. Did I just say soccer? Yeah, yeah you did. Uh, I've been in. I've been in New York too long. Football. I was doing football. Uh, played basketball. I was too short for that. And I just really enjoyed the one-on-one. Right, you had is what you brought to the table, um, and you you could change the game or dictate what's happening. So um, it kind of spat from there. Um, my dad sent me away from the bright lights of London and I had to go up to Pontefract. And it, you all know, Jamie, London, we were, you know, there's this thing about the North and South divide. And so yeah. that's a really big thing. So me as a Londoner, getting a train four hours to Pontefract, very small town, it was like a whole new galaxy. Um, and I lasted one day. I got the train back down and I was like, Dad, I can't handle that place. Do not send me there. He's like, well, if you don't, you're not going to play squash again. Because London at that time just didn't have the environment that I needed. So I took it on the chin, moved up there. And it was, if it wasn't for me moving up north, I wouldn't have been, you know, I wouldn't have cheesed with the stuff that I did. So, you know, I lived in Pontefract and moved to Halifax, where I then teamed up with David Campion, who's James Woodshop's half-brother, Marcus Barrett, who Jamie would know. Um, yeah. A lot of Lee Beachill, who's COO of PSA now. And so I was just in that environment all the time, you know, and you just see how they talk, what they eat, how they train, how they're, fu- you just around that and you just naturally absorb it. So it was a perfect situation for me. And, I, you know, I actually spent the majority of my career up there, um, you know, and I was just away from everything, all the distractions um, and just around the top English players at the time. Um, was it? Sorry? What, was it hard? rising up through the ranks with such a dominant, uh, during an era of such England dominant squad. It's interesting. I mean, you're as good as your environment, right? And I know there was, um, on squash stories, a guy posted something, I think he posted the rankings. I can't remember what year it was, but he was basically comparing it to the current proper players and like how strong in depth it was. And I was, I think I was 10 there. But when I was looking down, I was like, oh my, it's only then I was like, oh my God, like there was some solid, hard players there. But it's just, it's the environment you're in. As I said, you soak it up. There was top players. Um, and because you're in it, you don't really recognize how strong it is. I mean, the era before me was even stronger, I think. You know, like your Rodney Martin, James. I mean, those guys were just, they were like the methods to me. And what they achieved, it was just insane. Um, so, you know, I think that 
it was tough, but because you had them with you and we was always training as an England team, you just always felt that support unit all the time. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I enjoyed it. Um, you know, I said to the kids that I coach now, I was like, the one thing that I had the love for the sport was the one thing that eventually I decided to retire. So I actually really enjoyed traveling. I love traveling around the world, visiting different cultures. And then I just got, t- I got honestly, I got so tired of it. And it, it came to me when I played in the Cafe Pacific in Hong Kong. And as I walked to the front desk, the woman knew my name because she's seen me so many times. And I'm like, this has got to stop. Like, this is sad. Like, you're just going to the same hotel every single time. And it just, it just, it's very taxing. I mean, I mean, Jamie, you know, like Marcus Barrett, for me, he was one, he was, he could have been um, an amazing player, but he hated traveling. But if you play Marcus in England, everyone hated playing him. Me, Nick Matthew, Lee Beachel, we just, he was, he was like my, my bogey player. He couldn't handle the traveling, you know? Um, and that's such a huge part. I think people underestimate how much of a big part that is. You know, just adjusting to time zones, cultures, the food, everything. It's such a big, big piece, um, you know, that impacts your performance. So, um, and it's ironic that he now lives in Italy, funny enough, which is bizarre. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I had a great career. I think, you know, I was very, very fortunate just because of the people that were around me at the time, um, you know, the pros that were around me at the time and even before me uh, that I always looked up to. Um, I was very fortunate. And you know, now that's not so much. I think the numbers have decreased and the English players that are up there at the minute, you know, they're great players, but they just don't have the, the mass of what I had or what like a Nick had. Um, and that does make a huge impact for sure. You know, and I think yeah, we had, they, they call it the golden years. Um, you know, I think we, everything come, has a shelf life, right? It comes around in cycles and there's a lot of great potential uh, in the juniors now in England. So I'm really excited to see what they do. Yeah. Let me tell you, there's a lot of potential in Sam Todd. I've had to play him a couple of times and it's not fun. <laughs> so, I mean, just even, you know, winning the world teams. Yeah. I'm honest, I didn't think they were going to win. I didn't think they were going to get to the final. But, you know, again, I think England have always... In my experience, when it becomes a team event, England always, you know, step up another 10, 15%. There's something about that unity and putting on that England shirt. Um, you know, we, we've always pulled it out of the bag, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, can, I, can I just... Sorry, Miles. No, go for it. We're just going to say, I, I, I did I wasn't... I've got to admit, I wasn't taking an awful lot of interest in it at the start, but when I started watching it, I, was, I thought the England team... With the, with you know Josh as the manager etc. The whole thing, the way they went about their business, the way they conducted themselves, the way they played, was just phenomenal. I, it really hooked me on that on the sort of um, you know watching them again. It was I thought they were excellent, really did. Yeah, I think and again when I remember, so I played the World Teams in 96, the under nineteen World Teams. I was fifteen, and I was playing with John Russell. Uh, Lee Beachill, Paul Allen, who's his brother Mark Allen is the coach of Virginia. Yep. And another guy called Tim Bell. Um, and I was 15. I had no idea what was going on. I didn't even like appreciate how grand this event was. And I just always felt when England came together, you know, because it's weird being such an individual sport, 
But when we gel, when we come together, England are like they've been playing for years together, you know, and that's one thing that kind of really, that's down to the management. Um, that's down to the squad training we have. Um, and there, we are genuine friends, you know, outside, you, you come out of the squash court, we actually hang out together. My family, are close with their family. So it's, it's genuine, it's pure. Um, and I, I never forget when we played Pakistan in the semi-finals, um, John got dropped for the reasons we're not going to go into. But uh, So they put me in and I was like, oh, shit. I've now got to play in the semi-finals against Amjad Khan and all these guys were kind of like top 30 in the world. And I had to play Kashi Shorja, who is like the New Zealand coach now. And um, I remember playing it and... You know, I said before that I never really, I was not obsessed with squash. I just enjoyed being with the boys. That's, that was my drive. Right. And I playing and I actually didn't realize I'd won. So I came off court. I won 3-1. It was all of my, my match to go into the final. I came off court and everyone was patting me on my back, DP, everyone, well done. And I was like, I've still got another match. But I didn't realize I'd won. So I actually walked off court, didn't shake Kashif's hand. <laughs> he was obviously pissed off and then I've had to like search around from it search around from it and to this day I've been like so apologetic to him which doesn't sound it sounds worse that I said I didn't even realise I won but you know thanks thanks for coming um, but yeah. <laughs> it was a, that was a bizarre experience but you know I say to you know I said to even your son uh, Bruce uh, you know if that enjoyment factor is gone like I enjoy it now is when I was an eight year old kid like you have to enjoy what you do first and foremost. And I think a lot of people kind of forget that, um, particularly in the pros, because there's a lot more riding on it. You know, it's your well-being, you know, revenue, et cetera, et cetera. So I always try and keep that, uh, that fun factor. You have to enjoy what you do. And I think we can yeah. get away from that a lot. And that's what I like about squash stories. I think, you know, there's characters on there, there's personalities, there's people just being themselves. And they say it's the freedom of speech. You can say what you feel and it's their personal opinion. You know, people will agree, people will disagree, but you know that's what that's what creates the fun out of it, and that's why I think it's been so so successful. Yeah, one of the things I was wondering, Jamie, is how you know you hear these these uh, mostly like celebrities who who will talk about the haters or whatever um, posting on the account and, and and commenting rude things and stuff like that. But what has squash stories have? felt in that sense have there been people who come on and are like what is this like why are we talking about squash or is everyone pretty excited and in in uh in contributing good things um sorry i'm not i don't fully understand what what you mean mal so you mean so are are there people who will come on your page and and you know throw shame towards squash will they comment rude things or or post things that are just Obligatory because now it's gotten so big, you know. Like, there's a difference between a small following of a thousand people and a big following of I'm not even sure what the number is now. Up upwards of upwards of ten thousand people, you know. It's I think it's near it's near thirty thousand now, so it's yeah, quite a lot. Thirty thousand. I think when you think about the sport of squash, you know, it's not the biggest sport, so it's it is a very very big collective of people. But um, I think I I, I do police it pretty pretty well i think if anything does appear i'm usually onto it straight away it's very difficult stopping some people joining because obviously there's people asking to join all the time and you don't know whether they're gonna they're gonna be genuine people or they're gonna post a video of a snake being beaten to death or some bizarre thing right. which you do which you do get quite a lot 
But um, yeah, so it's uh, it's. Um, I, I think I played. There's not really been anything too bad that I've that I've come across recently. No, so it's going going pretty smoothly. I think, for, as far as Facebook groups are concerned, yeah, if you look yeah. at the football ones, it's it's you know it's it's very very civilized compared to any other sport one that I've read. To be to be fair. You've taken yeah. some people out of the group as well, haven't you? <laughs> Me? Yeah, 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 I have, yeah. I have done, yeah. Yeah. So, um, this is just, I've got to ask only because you said you're from London, but are you a Gunners fan or a Spurs fan, Adrian? I'm Gunners. Let's go. All right, good. <laughs> we've, got the, we've got the derby coming up, so I was hoping... I've gone through the highs, I've gone through the lows, but I've stuck with them the whole time. Yeah. Looking really strong this year, though. Wow, they are. It's yeah, hard to watch it, you know, because it's, you know, you, uh, in England, it's obviously, was it five hours ahead? And so yeah. my weekends, because I've got a six-year-old, during the week, it's like 5 a.m. wake up, but the weekends, I'm, that's oh my goodness. I'm really late in, so I'm always catching up on highlights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, I've been lucky enough to live with the soccer guys on, on the team here at UVA, and we always are excited for a Sunday morning and just yeah. wake up together. Even if it's early, we'll all get out and watch. But it's great. And, you know, that reminds me of something I, I was thinking about when you were talking about the culture of just how you wanted to be with the guys, you know, like that was what drove you. And 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 one thing that I've been lucky enough to experience is traveling and playing the tournaments in Europe, even going to Egypt um, and playing a tournament there, which was a different culture. But, you know, tr- playing in Europe and playing in the U.S. is so different. You show up in Europe and there's a tournament as a junior for me. Um, we would show up, you'd play your matches and on you'd play Friday, you'd play Saturday. And on, on Saturday night, everyone would get together, you know, the families as well as the children. And we'd all go out to eat or to the bar or wherever it would be. And there's this culture in squash that's like Im- embedded in it, you know, and it's it's a beautiful thing. And unfortunately, I almost feel as though there's times when the 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 elitist of, of PSA or whoever it is, is trying to make it super formal and like, okay, it's just like tennis, you know, like we need to, we need to push this, like everybody needs to go pro and like play, you know, with a coach, like everybody has an individual, all this stuff. But, but just what you were saying about the British team or the, the England squad is like, they have this swagger. And I really do believe that it comes from their, the culture behind squash in, in, in England um, just as the French team has a different culture coming from France and, and, you know, and it's just, it's an incredible thing. And I wish it was more prominent in the United States. I I'm sure you can touch on that simply, you know, coaching in the States for, for a while now and how it just, there isn't that, there isn't that family bond, um, that you find in, in, in Europe. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of feel like, um, and look, every country has a different culture, um, there's pros and cons for everything. Like England's not perfect, but you know what they do do. They do it really good, and record shows. I think from a US standpoint, um, I just think kind of where squash is played doesn't help. Um, you know, it's it's very shut off, very elitist. Um, you know, it's very it's too business type for me. Right. Um, you know, which is hard for me. You know, I remember when I first came to US, I actually found it really really hard because I was trying to implement the English culture of what I've been through. Um, you know, I was fortunate to be on court with players better than me. And I was on court with players that weren't as good as me, but it was, court, it was 
you're in as a group, you're passing on the baton to everyone, there's a respect for everyone, um, you know, you can learn from all different styles of players and levels and I kind of felt like that was completely uh, shut off here, it was all about, you know, this is this level, they stay in this box, this is this level, right. they stay in this box and there was, there was no crossover um, and as I said, I tried to implement that, it didn't, didn't go down very well um, but, you know, I kind of tried to still bring in and infuse what I've been through as much as I can. Um, but again, I think they're still, for what US have got, they've done great. You know, the, the women are flying at the moment. Um, you know, the men are not as high up as those guys, as the girls, but, you know, they're definitely there. And, you know, there's all the top ex-pros that are here as well. So everything's here. The recipes are here. So there, there's, there's clearly something still missing. Um, and I just really think it's that you can't, the culture, the community is what brought me in. It got me, got me playing. If that wasn't there, I wouldn't be playing squash, let alone right. the stuff that I did. And so I think, you know, that really needs to be implemented. I don't know if it can. I don't know if it can. But well, I, I mean, I, the way I look at it today is, I mean, the culture obviously in the U.S. is different. And, um, you know, for a lot of the junior players, it's really, it's more of a, pathway getting into college yeah. and I think you know the um the focus is, is is different I mean I think the end product could be the same but um you know it's a process and the academics and all so you can't be like you know 70 or 65 35 squash and academics you have to be a closer you know 50 50 here and to put it in and it's a lot of time and effort and uh you know the top players want to be at the top schools, and um, so, so it makes it difficult. But um, I'm going to change gears a little bit. And Jamie, so um, we, you know, mentioned earlier before we got on the call about the 2028 Olympics in uh, Los Angeles. And um, I know, you know, in, I guess it was 2020. We we tried to uh, make it happen, but uh, now uh, we have another chance. So, what are you hearing? And uh, what do you think might happen for 2028? Uh, well, obviously, like uh, most squash fans, I'm hoping that we we do get in. But um, <clears throat> did you see my post today? I, I couldn't believe it. I didn't see the games from the CIB last night, so I watched them this morning. So I'm watching the match between Paul Coll and Dasuki, and all of a sudden, there's a bit of commotion at the in between the uh, in, in between games just before the fifth game. And some dignitaries came in and I just thought they were probably sponsors or whatever. And it turns out it was Thomas Bach, who is the head guy from, from the Olympics. So he takes his seat behind the courts. The players play on. Whether they'd been told in advance, I don't know. But there was a lot of... Immediately, I posted about it today. Um, you know, there was like this backlash because he'd apparently he'd held up play and then he only stayed five minutes and disappeared and it was kind of like this disrespectful thing which I understand fully but he was actually there watching squash now that I don't know whether that's a kind of a bit of a sign but if, to me that's a surely must be a positive thing and you know I mean what is he even doing there if if there's no chance you know I don't, I don't know but yeah so getting back to it I, I really do hope that we can get we can get in yeah so, so what do you think, um, if, they, if we do get in, do you think there'll be changes implemented in terms of scoring, number of games? How do you think that will work out? You know what, I've not even given that a thought, but I think, Bruce, I think that what you said originally before we, before we, um, 
before this started is true. I think they, they may need to change some things to, uh, to, to, to make it more attractive to, to non-squash playing people. We've, we've been saying it for a while, but it's this, it's this, it's this kind of dilemma between, you know, um, you know, compromising what we've already got as a sport and, or do we make it more attractive to make it more, you know, to a broader audience? So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to see if they can do anything. Yeah. To be honest. No, I, I mean, I think it's difficult because, you know, the, the players are on the same side essentially. And, um, you know, badminton, which is, I mean, I love why, I mean, that's an, to watch badminton is crazy, but they're on the opposite side. So there's, you know, all the lets and all the, you know, the strokes and all that stuff is, it goes out the window in a bad, you don't have that in a badminton game. So squash is unique, but to make it broader for the world, you know, to pick up a better audience, you know, you have to make a little compromise. So it sort of flows better. We get it. And I think they're trying to iron out how, you know, the stop of play and the continuity of, of the, of the play. But, um, yeah, so um, Adrian, do you think uh, what would you implement to make it a little bit more um, flow a little bit better? Um, you know, lessen um, the amount of time taken to argue. You know, strokes and lets. What would you try to implement? Well, that's putting me on the spot. I mean, a lot of people probably won't agree with me, but I kind of feel like I'm all for the current times, and I know squash. There's a lot of squash purists. I am myself, but at some point, I think. There has to be a point where things need to change. When I say quite dramatically, I mean, you know, I know they're doing this thing in New Zealand. Is it like the best of seven or something like that? Or seven scoring or something? Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not really aware of I that. I think it's two seven. I think it's two seven. Two seven. So they're trying different things. I think something has to change just to make, you know, you're, not, you're never going to nail it on the head, right? At the end of the day, there's two people in a box with a ball going really fast so there's going to be always that contact it's, you can't yeah. afford that but you know I think that just testing things I think that seeing how it goes I think the scoring could change um, I think it could be less I know people would hate me because then it takes out the kind of physicality of squash I get that but at the end of the day it's like do we keep doing what we're doing and get the same answers or do we make a change and right it's a double-edged I mean, if it did change and it got accepted, there's no reason why you can't still go and play the normal scoring in your squash club. You know, there's no, there's no law against that, but I just kind of feel like, I, I'm just, I'm, I, I never thought I'd say this, but now I'm out of the game, I'm just kind of, and I'm looking from the outside and I'm like, you know, because I've been, I've been like excited and then down and depressed and went, oh, we're going to get there. Oh, no. oh we're going to, and it always comes. I'm kind of tired of that now. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I don't really have the exact answer, right? But I think that I just personally feel um, there needs to be quite dramatic changes. Okay. Well, I think I think to appeal to the Olympic Committee, it's got to, I think, you know, they probably have some sort of complaints on on how the length and how it would be, you know, perceived. But um, I, I agree. I mean, you don't want to change the tenets of the, of the, of the of a great sport. But yeah. um, I mean, they've kind of, haven't they? They've, in CIB, they, you get three appeals now. I uh, saw four appeals or something like that in the whole match. Did yeah, that's that? not. I don't think that could exist in an Olympic, you know, competition. Uh, I think they're gonna have, there's gonna be so many matches they're gonna get through, and the time and the venues, and 
So I think it's going to, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, it'd be great for the sport just for recognition and see how great the athletes are. And, uh, but one thing I, I, I'm again, being now I'm away from it and I'm not in the bubble anymore. I look at it from a completely different perspective that I actually think where the most power comes from or the influence is from the community, like building that community. Because if you look at all the sports that have got in or are close to getting in, their community is huge. You know, they get getting it to the masses and that, that is the backbone of the sport. I know paddles up everywhere. Yeah, paddle is taking over. It's insane. I know that there's going to be some squash people that hate that word, but you cannot fault what they do. You know, there's such a unity amongst all the organizations, whether international, national, regional, and they all work together and they're all trying to grow the sport together with a certain model. Um, and that's it. Once the community grows, you can't ignore that. Uh, we can look at changing the scores, the courts, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But if there's mass participation, that cannot be ignored. Yeah, I, I, I sort of agree with you. Those couple of those sports have really, uh, racket sports have really gone crazy. And so quickly, too. I mean, like huge, you know, time frame that uh, all of a sudden they're like, you know, they're killing it throughout the world. And it's so popular. I'm going to take personal privilege today and talk about my new favorite pizza establishment in New York City. I certainly don't take my pizza lightly. Feeney, which recently opened in Brooklyn, is located at 305 Bedford Avenue. Feeney embraces old-style pizza, yet with a modern take. Feeney's owner, Sean Feeney, is the co-owner, along with famed chef Missy Robbins, of two of the most delicious restaurants and most popular in New York City called Lilia and Missy. Feeney has been in the works for a while, and it's finally open and crushing it. They have the most delicious New York-style slices with their own twist. The crust is so crispy and delicious. It's probably the best crust that I've ever tasted. They also have amazing Sicilian slices. Their Caesar salad is second to none, along with their homemade ices for dessert. The flavors are off the charts. So when you're finished working on your squash game, Feeney should be your next stop. 305 Bedford Avenue, Brooklyn, New York. Uh, Jamie, I have, a, I, I have something that uh, I would like to talk to you about. And uh, so do you think we may be at the tipping point of Egyptian dominance? I mean, I think on the women's side, we have a, a little bit of time. But, you know, in terms of the men's side, um, and just which just culminated at the uh, World Juniors, um, it's the first time I think in like 27 years, uh, there's been a little deflect and uh, we have a... Uh, uh, a non-Egyptian uh, champion on the on the men's side and uh, a runner-up from England, and uh, so I think I'm hoping there, you know, the parity eventually uh, comes to fruition. What do you think? Um, it's a it's it's a difficult one for me because I don't I watch it as individual squash players. I don't really think about the the sort of country that they come from. It's not it's not really an issue for me. But it was nice to see. It's obviously nice to see other countries doing well and it being more of a mixed bag than, than just one country dominating all the time. But I, like I say, I, th- I look at it as my favourite players rather than, than, than where they come from. Um, but, yeah, I think 
I'm not sure. I mean, you know, it's no big secret. We've talked about the coaching and whatnot, but the, the, the main ingredient is obviously the, the, the bigger pool of juniors coming through, the, the, the better results you get at the end of it. So I think Egypt have kind of over the last 20 years, they've, they've been the, they've produced the, the, the most players and, and all the other countries, to, more than all the other countries together. But um, I'm not sure. I think we, we, it's got to tell you something that England have done pretty well in the juniors and it was nice to see Rowan Damming coming through from the Netherlands and all these other people. So yeah, I, I would like to see it more, more mixed, but I'm, I'm not obsessed by it now. So uh, Adrian, what do you think is the secret sauce? Do you think it's just the um, environment that the young Egyptians are coming through and, um, or do you think there's something else going on there? I mean, just the, uh, the vision of the pyramids in the background, uh, you know, Keeping it all together. I think they have they have the numbers, but you got to remember, like this this has been going on since like Barada. Like Barada was the, the the one that really started this off. I was I was a kid when he was playing. You know, he was. I was speaking about with uh, John Powell actually yesterday because he's here in New York, and he was like he was the one that started it off. You know, at age fifteen, he was built like a tank. Um, you know, I was only 12 at the time and he was like the major, he was the, the icon of it all. He was the one that really kicked it off. So it's been going back since then. Now, obviously it's getting more attraction because of the amount of players. Um, and as you know, it's the numbers game, right? I mean, I, I heard that, you know, weekend tournaments in Egypt, they have literally thousands of kids, thousands of kids playing at a weekend. That's what I mean. That is I've never, in my whole life, I've never been in a tournament with a thousand kids. Um, and you've only, look, that's a numbers game again. So I think that, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a place there which is following Barada. Like I said, he set it off and they're all celebrities out there in their own right. And that's the way it should be. That shouldn't be, oh, well, it's a, it should be. They're, anyone who's top of their sport, that's what they should be. They should get that kind of recognition. Um, and I also believe that everyone has a shelf life. You know, England had it good for 20 odd years. Um, you know, Pakistan before that, Australia. Um, I do think that Egypt also had a shelf life. I don't think it's anywhere near yet, but it will do. And, you, you know, it's great to see other countries, you know, Malaysia and India, they've got a great setup there, a great junior program, more and more kids playing all the time. And, you know, like you say, when I was playing junior, there was tons, there was tons of kids playing. You know, I wasn't even one of the best juniors. There were so many strong players that didn't make it to pros that people don't even know of. And they just make you a better player than yourself. So um, I think they're still going to be here for a long time. <laughs> uh, I don't think, I'm not sure if it's good for, in terms of, you know, I know when we was going for Olympics, we'd always pride ourselves on how international the top 20 was. Um, it's not so much that anymore. Um, but as Jamie said, I, I, you know, I'm more into now. I'm looking from the outside in. I'm, I'm more into like the individuals and characters, the personalities. That's what draws me in more than anything. So when I was over in uh, Egypt, I got to go actually with uh, Bruce's son and, and a friend of ours, and we were training there with Andrew Shukri. And it was a great time. But the thing that stood out the most, like I played so many matches. I got, to, like, you know, I got my ass handed to me by, should we cut that out? No, we, whatever. Good. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I was, I was, 
I got chopped up by by like Kareem Ibrahim and and uh, Yusuf Ibrahim and some of those other guys at Wadi Degla. All this all this amazing, uh, just an amazing experience. And then the only thing that I remember being super stunned by was walking down the streets and the billboards were of Nur El Shabini. And everybody, like we went out with Rami Ashore one night and he was literally, it was like going out with, I don't know, David Beckham. Like it was insane. It was insane. And everybody's coming up and taking pictures and like wanting to, uh, you know, just, just say hi to him. And it's an incredible thing that they've, they've grown such a, such a community around squash that, that truly like admires their pros. And it, it's wonderful. You know, it's, it, it's really, really cool. They even were saying, I think it's the second most popular sport after soccer in Egypt. It's close to number one now, but you know, with most Salah playing as well as he is, it's hard to, to get over soccer and soccer. You don't, have to, you don't have to look at the amount of invested in tournaments, you know, yeah. just after COVID, you know, to present. I mean, it's, I was looking at the calendar and I'm like, I cannot believe how much they've invested. Yeah. Was, you know, and they, these are not, yeah, they put on small tournaments, but they put major big tournaments on. Yeah. It's, it, it's pretty incredible. It, it's, it's also very interesting now that you have, you know, there's like some crossover now with different coaches from different countries. Usually they sort of, you know, some of the guys may have come over to England and had, um, you know, an English coach. But now you see uh, Sherbini, uh, Noral Sherbini, uh, put uh, Greg on the uh, case at the moment. And I guess it, it's it just after you hear the same ear for, you know, for all the years, I guess maybe it's a little bit of a change, even though she's incredible and probably doesn't need, you know, too much. But uh, I guess just a, an, another ear. So, Jamie, what do you what do you think of that move for, for her to bring over Greg and uh, to her camp? It's the first I've heard of it of, about that, Bruce. But it's I love anything like that. It's juice. It's juicy. You know, it's the 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 sort of interactions we can get on squash stories now. Uh, you know, when things like that happen, are great. You know, um, <clears throat> it's a bit. I mean, in all seriousness, no. Uh, you know, if you're a coach of a player and you know it, the player goes to another, you know, to somebody else, it is. It's quite a sensitive thing, so you've got to be careful. But um, it's in, it's. I think that as a player, you can, you know, move on without it being a problem because, you know, you got to, everybody's got to be mature enough to realise that, you know, it might just be a change rather than anything that you've not been able to implement technically. It might just be, you know, something something new. And I think, you know, Moshe Baggy has gone to a few different people, and I think it is a trend that's gonna that's gonna that's gonna exist in the game now that that that, that happens. And it's just it's all good. It's all exciting. It's all good news. Um, I like to see the changes. Some of the players don't make the changes. You know, they'll go to another coach and they won't take any, They won't take it on board. Um, some do. Some some completely do. As Paul Cole did, for instance. But you know, all good as far as I'm concerned, Bruce. Yeah, and and Rod Martin has had. You know, they've. You know, I think it is a tricky situation when you have an. You know, a player that's grown up and still actively with a coach, and then they go for you know a bit of a consultation with a guy like Rod Martin, and you know we've had him on the show. And I find him to be the, one of the most knowledgeable. He looks at it differently. Um, his approach is different. And uh, I think he brings huge value. And um, so, yeah, it, it's a very interesting time. It's like the teams are getting bigger. Now they're bringing, you know, psychologists on board. And it's, it's a, 
And, and that's what, you know, the top players and the game yeah. needs to grow the sport. And uh, I think it's been, uh, you know, I think we, and, that, and that's one of the things I think, you know, we need to really look at in terms of growing the game. Because I felt pre-pandemic, we were at a point where, uh, you know, the sport could go a little bit south. But I think it's been sort of revitalized. But I think we have a long way to go. And uh, I do think, so, again, the Olympics might be something that would uh, would help us. But um, so I was just going to turn the page just a little bit and uh, ask you, what do you think of, uh, you know, Serena retiring and uh, the longevity of some of the tennis players as opposed to, uh, you know, the uh, squash players? And uh, look on the men's side, you know, you Federer just retired. They had that event in uh, Illinois this week, and or no, actually it was at the at the Big O um, in, in London. But I think they've done it in Chicago before. But uh, the longevity of Federer, Djokovic, and uh, Nadal—it's it's incredible. I mean, you get all this money, you get all this fame, and for them to still persist and stay at the top of the game, I find is incredible. So I was just wondering what you thought about Serena, you know, retiring and now Federer and their legacy and do you think Serena's the goat i mean i at the point you know i know she's one shy of uh margaret court on the 24 grand slams but she's also won 13 double you know grand slams so uh i think she should be i think she's probably cemented as the goat hard to compare different errors but um and maybe she was fortunate to be in the era that she was but she's just was an incredible you know um figurehead for so many years and uh so what do you think jamie you think uh do you follow tennis at all or uh yeah i, I do follow tennis um <clears throat> i think it is a unique thing that you've had you've got the four the four guys at that level for so long um it is quite incredible Djokovic. not this is not going to be a particularly popular view but Djokovic is my favorite out of that bunch he's my favorite too yeah, all oh, right, that's good. But he 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 is somebody who's been badly demonised. I go on about it all the time, I know, but um, he's been badly demonised for, for one or two things, one or two decisions he's made, totally out of context. And you know, so I I, I naturally I'm I'm drawn to support the supposed bad boys in squash and in tennis. So Djokovic has been somebody that, but I, I love everything about him. I love I love the others as well. You know, I think Federer's fantastic and Nadal, but yeah, Djokovic is my favourite. And yes, Serena means incre incredible. Uh, it's going to be hard to watch the tournaments until some more characters start to develop without those kind of people in. And, it, it, you know, it's the same with squash. When a squash great squash player retires, you know, Nick Matthew was never my favourite player, but when he stopped playing and he wasn't, like, his name wasn't in the draw and I couldn't look forward to watching his games. You know, it was a big, it was a big deal, you know. So, but everybody's, everybody's got to retire at some point and... Um, I think they've done it, you know, he's done it quite gracefully and, and so has Serena. So all, all good, really. But yeah, that's my... I, mean, we, I think we need more like Nick Kyrgios, you know, coming in, a personality, a talent. And Definitely, yeah. He adds a lot of, you know, allure to the game at this point. And yeah. I think he redraws the crowds. He, he does. I mean, that incident, you know, just recently, I mean, everybody, I've never, I don't think I've ever known as many people watching Wimbledon as, as when he progressed to the final. I mean, it was, you know, it was quite something, but again, he's, 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 a, he's, you know, he does some bad things. He shouts at spectators and whacks his racket, but I mean, come on in the scheme of things. What's that? Does he really deserve to be, get the abuse that he gets? Of course he doesn't. And so, you know, it's, um, but it's, it, it is, it's great. 
whether as long as it's controlled with you know within reason, it's great to have these characters. I think in all sports, we, well, we, I mean, we I mean, it. he's following in the footsteps of like an Ilya Nastasi, McEnroe. I mean, yeah. McEnroe had the most you know most success out of those guys, but um, he uh, you know he's got the talent. He's got you know, and when he stays focused, and it's great to watch. But you do you need more personalities like that. Um, yeah, he reminds me a lot of or. You know, you can draw parallels between uh, Jonathan Power as well. He would get on the court. And what was such an incredible thing, something that I've just started uh, thinking about trying to implement to my game, but that that Jonathan Power does so well that I, I think Nick Kyrgios can can do at times. He, he does get pretty emotional about it, but it's like detaching the emotion side and using this flustering technique or like it's it's... You know, Jonathan Power literally could, he would be detached emotionally, but then show so much emotion and then it would throw off his opponent and he'd be right in there to play the rest of the match, you know, and it's, it's such an incredible thing. And I, I've watched uh, Mustafa Saul, and I think some people see him trying to, you know, have a new way of arguing and all this stuff. I, I'd I love to hear I, y'all. Honestly, honestly, don't think he's bad. You don't think it's bad? No, at all. Yeah. I've seen so many worse squash players yeah. do a lot more. I think out of the current players that he's in, he obviously stands out. Right. I actually genuinely don't think he's that bad. I don't think so either. I, I agree with you. Do you remember Stefan Galifi? Yeah, yeah. Very well. He was he was quite a character. Yeah. But you need I I'm, you need characters. Like people want yeah. sport is entertainment. It's not watching pain dry. I know, yeah. it's fine, I know it's a fine line. I, I completely respect that. But I think once you start sucking out the characters out of people, and it just becomes a bit bland, not just in squat, but any sport. And I have full respect for people that are you know, true to themselves and you know, be, be who they are on the, on the court or the soccer pitch, football pitch, whatever it is, you know? Um, yeah. But I honestly don't think, I think that, you know, he's, he's not the only one. You know, when he first came onto the scene, he came on with a different style, very aggressive. People talk about his training leg and blah, blah, blah. But it's, that's, not, that's not a new conversation we've had. There's current players that do that. There's current players that yeah. won't do it. But then if it was tiebreaker in the fifth set, they will do it. You know yeah. what I mean? So I don't think he's that... I honestly do not think he's that bad. He's not generally trying to hit people with a squash ball. You know, he's not trying to knock you out with his elbow, you know? So that's my opinion. What a breath of fresh air it is to hear you say that, Adrian. Huh? What a breath of fresh air it is to hear you say that. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's kind of, um, it's quite, a, you know, it is a frustrating thing to see the, the sort of criticism he gets. Compared, I mean, you know, I, I've become, you know, I, I've in pointing out that some of the other supposed fairer players do exactly the same things, but maybe hide it a little bit better. You know, it's brought people onto the site accusing me of like hating players and hating Farag and things like that. I have, to, I have to private message them and say, hang on a second, I'm actually defending a player. I'm just showing you a clip to show you that it, things aren't quite as as bad as it seems. And, you know, and, it, and, and in defending somebody, it's brought that kind of, and it does bother me a little bit sometimes, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm fairly you know i've got a lot of conviction in what in what i say and, and and the observations that i make so it's all good but yeah 
Nice to hear. Yeah, so, I, think, I think when it, when it ever becomes a 50-50 decision, it's always going to go against him. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that, yeah. That's, that's the reputation that he, that's been given to him, actually. That's been laid on him. Um, I think that, you know, referees know people's character. They know the players' personalities. And as soon as you go in and you say it yourself, straight away people are going to think things and the referees are going to go in there straight away with a certain demeanour. Yeah. Um, Greg was the same. Greg was one of those. When he was at the top of his game, there was certain people out for him in certain situations. Um, and look, everyone's competitive. I think that, as I said, if it's the fifth set, tiebreaker, no one's an angel. Everyone wants to win. You're close to the finish line. Nobody's an angel. You know? Um, and... I just, yeah, I, I think it's just a fine line. And, you know, I feel he must be frustrated. He must be very frustrated. I actually personally think he's been dealing with it quite well, considering his age. You know, he's still young. He's very, very young. You know, he's full of energy. Um, and I think he's been dealing with it pretty well. Um, and he's tried to let his squash do the talking as much as possible. Yeah, I think he has the right intentions. I mean, I do not. I mean, First of all, he's a very big guy, and for him to get around court is is also not an easy thing. And uh, but um, I think he's great for the game. You need blood like that. You had four or five assaults. You know, the game would really, I think, be affected and 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 grow because of their personalities. And uh, you know, you squash. You know, if you got two guys who are just bread and butter, and that, you know, and but great players, it's not as exciting. When a guy like Asal gets on court, I mean, you never know what's going to happen. And it's the unknown that is exciting. You never, I mean, the guy is fit as can be. And I think he's just a threat. And uh, so, you know, obviously. I mean, look at his, you know, you look at, I remember when he first came out with that, uh, that celebration where he like brings his arms up and he gets the crowd rocking. Like I've never, that, I've never seen any player do that. Never, ever, ever do. And why is that a bad, why is that a bad thing? Like, that's great. Yeah, it's so good. But like, I don't understand why it's such a bad thing. And like, that's why I talk about, you know, squash is great that we keep our, uh, our tradition. But then also, I think, you know, you've got to, you've got to let people be, man. We're in a new era right now. and People just want to feel this fast, energy, fun, you know. Um, I, I think it's great for the sport. I just wish there was like four of them, but from different, four ourselves, but from other, country, other countries. That's you know? great. And Jamie, he seems to be, a, I mean, he's a lightning rod on your site. I mean, he is just, he's the buzz of your site, I think. I mean, anytime his name comes up, you got people coming out of the woodwork, you know, making comments about him. And, it, you know, it's, it's across the board. But um, that's, that's, you know, the type of thing we need in this sport um, to grow it and to make it appealing. I mean, and his athleticism is incredible. I mean, for a guy his size, I mean, he's to, to the way he moves on the court now, it, it's just, it's crazy. And his racket skills. And uh, so I think he's just, uh, you know, I only wish him the best. I think he's got a brother. I don't know if his brother is, uh, you know, in the same, uh, heading in the same path. But uh, I wonder that how that, nice. I wonder how that works. Adrian, you might know, or Jamie, you might know as well, but, I know in Egypt, if you have a brother, you have to serve in the military. And do you know if if you're a squash professional, it's funded by the government often. Does that like eliminate the um, the requirement for you to serve? I don't 100% know. 
I've okay. heard things, but I don't want to say something that is completely wrong, wrong answer. But um, there was obviously a military, there's a military involvement there, but I don't know what what's what you have to do, what you don't have to do. You know, I'm, okay. not, I'm not aware. Jamie might know. I don't know. Uh, well, I know there was an issue with the Shabagis. Um, that's why uh, Mohammed didn't play any of the Egyptian tournaments for a while. Um, but I don't know. I don't fully understand it, to be honest. But can you just excuse me for one second? Sure. No worries. No problem. So, Adrian, um, uh, I know your daughter at the moment. Uh, how old is she? Six or seven? Six going on 16. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I believe that for sure. But... Um, all the knowledge that you have and all what you've done and experienced, if you wanted to really groom someone like your daughter or, you know, a friend or just any, any, any student, what do you think the, the, like the main ingredients would be at this point? I know you're now involved with Squash RX. You're the head pro at City View. And when someone comes to you now and you evaluate them and see if there's something that you think you can offer them, what sort of program, when would you start them, and um, what do you think um, your approach would be if you really, if you saw something in them that they have some potential, and um, how, what, what do you think is the uh, pathway for a, a young kid to, you know, get to get the distance, go to the distance? One thing I'm very big on is, is passion. Like, you can't, you can't coach someone passion, like, that has to come from within. Um, you can't, I can't, I couldn't teach Morgan to be passionate like that. That comes from him, his upbringing, his environment. Um, I think that, uh, when I first moved to the US, I actually found it very hard, very, very hard to coach because my communication was completely different on a different level of understanding to a 12 year old. You know, I'd, I'd literally retired, gone straight into coaching. So I was coming in from a pro mindset and they're looking at me like I'm speaking French. I'm like, do it, do it. They would have no idea. So I had to go back, literally shred everything, go back and do my uh, first certificate. First certificate, I walked in, everyone's looking at me like, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know how to coach. I don't know how to communicate to a 12-year-old. That's why I'm here. Um, and just safety, you know, understanding safety. So a lot of these things that you kind of take for granted, um, but you know, I think that, uh, for me, I just, I try and make it fun for everyone first. Um, you know, I think passion can grow, can come from fun as well. Um, I think you can definitely, um, see players when they're more open to, uh, exposure of not just throwing them on a squash court and this is a technique, this is this, this is it. It's like just letting them be free. And I think that's where Egypt do very well. Egypt, you know, we have this thing here of being overcoached. You know, I think Egypt, they definitely play a lot and they learn about themselves. They, there's a freedom of expression. You know, they're not robotic. Um, so they're learning by themselves because ultimately it's just you and your opponent. Of course, you could have the best right. squad outside, but you have to execute at the end of the day. And you're so exposed, right? And so um, I'm very much... In from the interim beginner level, that's what I'm about. Um, I kind of leave that with my assistant. You know, he's a lot more better than that, and I, I accept that. Um, that's not my strength area. Um, you know, my strength area is you know, helping kind of you know your use 15, 17 kids that are 
completely focus on college and what it takes and you know like I said working with, with your son and so that's where they can understand my language more because there's a squash language right there's a squash language and I think that filters through all different ages um, and that's just um, through them learning and I'm just a big advocate of being a student of the game you know I, I get kids to I ask the kids like what what do they know what do they learn what what is it, what is it you feel rather than it's like you do this, you do that, you do that. You know, I'm trying to get them to think for themselves a lot more um, and challenge them mentally. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of my, my approach with it. But it was hard. It was hard for me to... It was very hard. I didn't think I was up for it when I first got into coaching um, just because of that communication, you know. So, um, ja- Jamie, do you have any thoughts? I know, I know you're not a, a coach, but um, if you were to start over, you had a young child, um, what do you think would be the ingredients that you'd like to, you know, bring forth to uh, have a child who can and excel in, in, in this great sport? Well, I'm, I'm kind of echo what Adrian was saying, really, that it's got to be initially there's no point in doing anything too technical with, with kids. It's got to be fun. They've got to want to come back to, you know, they've got to have enjoyed it. And then you've got to know then when the right time is to implement things very, very slowly. But with always with the with the emphasis on it being an, an enjoyable thing rather than something that they're kind of dreading going down there for because the dad's kind of frog marching them down. I actually did frog march my own son down to get him into it because he wouldn't have done otherwise. So <laughs> kind of a bit of a you know, I had to I had to be a little bit like that, and he he does thank me for it now. He's a decent player. So, but yeah, from a from a, a, a really young kid, it really is a case of just making a the whole environment and the whole experience fun so that they want to keep going back. And I think, you know, in back in the days where squash was a lot more popular, families took your kids to the club and you didn't force them to go on court. They just naturally found wanted to go on and see what the ball was and see what the racket was and have a hit with it. Whereas now, you know, they're doing other things. Those, those kids, those families are, are not going down to squash clubs. They're going to you know, cinemas and bowling alleys and, and whatnot, which is fine, but it's, you know, we need to find a way of drawing, drawing them back into into our sport, really. And I think kids naturally would, would want to get on court if they're being taken down there. It's quite fascinating, really. But yeah. Yeah. You know, I, and I hope, I really do hope that like parents hear that, you know, I, I it's hard because there's a, like the the results-based thinking is easy to slip into here. But I, but I do hope the parents do hear that, and I, and I, I think it's, I think it's on me and my other peers that I've grown up playing with, who will probably be part of the squash world in the states for a while, um, just to implement those those type of cultures, communities, like that we want to see in the squash world, and not have it be such a parent driven thing, you know. Yeah, I've actually learned a lot from my my six year old. So she, yeah, she completely dislikes squash. She like literally, and that I probably take half blame for that, just because when I try to get her there, that's daddy who's the ex pro and wants to do everything fine, attention to detail. She's a six year old brain, just yeah. like, <laughs> what the hell? And so I deterred her away from that. But you know, you talk about um, she loves skateboarding. Uh, she loves uh, surfing and she only came across skateboarding was when the Olympics were on and there was a 13 year old girl from Great Britain who won a bronze and she was just walking past the TV she was like 
what is that? And I'm like, that's a bronze medal and that's a 30-year-old girl. She's like, but what is that in her hands? A skateboard. I want to do it. And since then, three, four times a week, dropping off five foot, six foot ramps. No just way. From, just from seeing that in the Olympics, seeing a girl wow. with a medal, you know? And then we That's talk so about cool. how, how inspiring. When I see that, I'm like, wow. I mean, one, I'm happy that she's happy. I'm not, oh, you're playing. Why should I play? I don't, I don't want to. She doesn't want to play squash. I'm not going to kick her on the squash court. She doesn't want to play squash. You know, I'm not going to be a parent that kind of forces them into it. And when she feels like her voice is of value, 15, 16, goes completely against it. And then you've wasted 10 years of your life trying to push her into something. Yeah, you can't manufacture passion. I mean, that you cannot. Yeah. That is natural. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I love that story, though, Adrian. That's a really good story. It's incredible, too. Down, you said, I do wish you played squash, but then I, when, we, when Bruce came to my club and was talking about the, the journey of a junior circuit, I'm, like, I'm glad I don't go, I'm not going through that. Because <laughs> it, yeah. it is a long, long journey for parents. And yeah. I'm glad that done it. You know, the junior circuit from, I'm the, uh, the 12s and the 11s and you know it's uh, it's a long way it's a long journey but seriously like what an incredible thing it is to have that that uh, that innocence and just like wonder as a kid you know like we, we we grow up and I mean I can't tell you the amount of times that I convinced myself that I was going to be a professional soccer player like I would go outside and put on my kit like I'd have I had like my Fabregas uh, Gunners jersey on and I'd go outside to my you know, totally like <laughs> it's not a good field at all, but I'd be kicking around thinking it was the, you know, the center stage of at the world cup. And I was just like the boy and now, and now we, you know, and we just, we end up sticking to something and hopefully that passion stays. So I, I think you're, you know, I admire the fact that you still love it. Like you said, you love squash as much as you did when you were eight. And, and I think it's incredible that, that you've uh, yeah, what, no, you, what you've done, and that you've I generally I want us putting it out there now to the world. If that enjoyment goes, I'll be out because I can't. I wear my heart, my sleeve. I can't fake it. You know, if yeah. someone sees me on court, I'm not having a good day. You will see that. Yeah, and I, I have to have that passion. I can't. I can't put on this mask. Um, yeah, I know some people can, but maybe that's a strength or weakness. I don't know, but that's just me. <laughs> No, I think that's not that's not a weakness at all. I think it's just not at all. It's the right way. It's not artificial. And uh, I think you know, I think kids and you know adults and they they can see that Adrian. You know, your passion and your understanding and your compassion. You know, compassion. It all it all comes through. Um, I think uh, we're almost about to wrap it up, Miles. You got some last no, thoughts? I, yeah, I was just I was just thinking. You know, we. Look at us like we've got we've been talking about passion, but Jamie's Jamie's uh, career with squash started from, you know, wanting to pick up something that he thought was cool and and, and he was passionate about it. And, and then he achieved amazing things. And through that passion, you've created such a, a platform for the for the squash world and for for the sports world to 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 learn and to communicate online, which is incredible, you know, and, and it just it's a great thing. and. Um, and I'm so glad that I, that we got to meet on meet on here because otherwise I probably would only see your name pop up on the icon the whole time 
on, on Facebook. Yeah, no, it's really nice to hear that, Miles. Thank you. And I'll we'll look yeah. out for you now on Squash Stories. Yeah. Debbie, yeah. I have a question. What, what, uh, the initial thought, was it just like you and your mates having a laugh? That yeah. you that page or? This, yeah, well, it was, I was talking to Bruce before. It was like 12 years ago. Um, I just wanted to, you know, when you've been playing squash a long time, you've met a lot of interesting characters and there's been some incidents and funny stories. And it was just meant to be a kind of a way of telling those stories within a kind of sphere of, of, of close friends. And then, but obviously other people started to join and it started to get broader and broader. And then it's just kind of evolved. It's never, had, there's never been any intent, you know, di- direction or anything. It's just kind of is what it is. And as it, you know, it's evolved as it's gone along. So that's, that's kind of what it is. Did uh, you wonder? I, I, I find it very entertaining. Yeah, I don't think now I'm just too busy reading all the comments. So I'm like, you know, it's, yeah. it's good though. It's good. It just gets people in and, you know, I'm all for, again, I'm all for people having their opinion, everyone's entitled to it, whether you think it's right or wrong, but that's what creates a buzz, right? At the end of the day, there's yeah. not like this linear thing of like, this can be said, this can't be said. I know there's, yeah. you, know, you have to police it, I'm sure, um, but, you know, I think that everyone has a, a self-sense of expression on there, you know, regardless. Yeah, no, that, that's it. That's exactly it in a nutshell. And I think that um, <clears throat> obviously when you've got opinions and you put your head above the parapet, you're definitely going to make some enemies and you're going to, you know, you're going to, you're going to encounter a few problems. But I think overall um, it works pretty well now as a group. It's fairly, you know, it's fairly civilised and we, we, we get down to some, you know, as I'll obviously make a post that's going to draw people in. So it might be a little bit salacious or a little bit of uh, sensational and it may upset one or two people. But by the end of the thread, it's brought in, usually brought in, you know, an awful lot of constructive comments. And by the end of it, you know, we, each one has, has, has really got somewhere. So I think the way it works is, is pretty good at the moment, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's terrific. I mean, there should be more sites like that um, that we, we don't have, and uh, or at least I'm not aware of. But, um, I mean, both of you today, this has been um, – a long way in the making, but uh, this really came to fruition. I think there was a lot of good information brought forth. Both of you have a, such a command uh, of the sport from different vantage points. And uh, I just want to, you know, from the bottom of my heart, Miles and I really, really, really thank you for the effort. I know uh, it's an early morning, but here in the U.S., but uh, this was – I couldn't have uh, – ask for a, a better conversation. It, I think it's great. I think you guys really brought it big time and brought some really good information. So thank you again. Yeah, thank you guys. Seriously. I really thank appreciate it. It's been a pleasure speaking to both of you. And um, I'll be certainly listening to all the podcasts in the future. So uh, thanks again for, uh, for having me on. Uh, yeah. You know, thank you for the invite. Uh, it's been really good. I've Always been listening to your your work, and it's an honour to actually be officially on your platform now. Well, thank you very much, yeah, Adrian, and uh, hope to see you soon in the city. All right, Adrian, can I can I can I just have a have a quick word? Sure. My my, um, my son started started uh, skateboarding at six years old, and oh, yeah. we 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 had a journey that is was every bit as good as as, a, as the squash journey through the skateboarding and it is an, if she's really into it 
if you've got the time, it's, it is an amazing thing. It's totally different than squash. You know, it's not as competitive. But the, the journey and the people that you meet and the environment, it's, it's different, but it's, it's, it, I wouldn't swap it for anything, what, what we achieved together. He oh, doesn't, really? he doesn't do yeah. it now, but it re- really is something. Yeah, I mean, she, that's good to know because she, she's completely hooked. I mean, I'm having to, like, skip work for a bit to take her to Brooklyn to go to the skate park. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. She, she loves it. It's like 20 bucks and she'd be there for five hours. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my it's, it's, it's very worrying, obviously, because they get injured and stuff. But the smaller they are, if they've got a helmet on and whatnot, the falls are not as bad as if yeah. it was, you know, an, an adult. So, you know, she, they can do more than you think. So, you know. Oh, it's, um, I mean, she's, it's like, I don't know if you got, you know, uh, Bruce and Miles, you've been on a skateboard, but I would not even go, go off a two-foot ramp. Like, I, I, <laughs> I do look, look at risk assessment and I'm like, this is not going to go well at all. <laughs> but and when they're young, they're just literally, you know, they're well, fearless. Well, right? Andrew, just about. to let you know, when I was, you know, probably a sophomore in high school, there was a place in New Jersey that we used to go. It was called the Monster Ball, and it was a big ball. And I loved skateboarding as a kid. I was not yeah. that good, but it was fun. It was yeah. fun. Is that it's a, it's a that's Olympic sport, right? Is it or not? Just um, now, I think. Yeah, it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a yeah. yeah, it is. I've actually I I I was a pretty big skateboarder as a kid too. It was fun. Um, never got too good i liked the bulls but i wasn't very i wasn't good at like street or or anything like that it's so. exciting like you could fall a hundred times but you have that one good run it brings you back it's uh oh, it's yeah. that, again it's that excitement that edge of the sea stuff right there's yeah. a risk fact there's a danger factor there's risk and it, your, your, your eyes are pierced on the tv screen and you just don't know anything can happen at any split moment and that's it's that kind of edge of edge of the sea stuff that we need to try and bring in squash i don't know how but Somehow. Yeah, I, absolutely. 100%. I'm going to start trying to think of something now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, listen, guys. Listen, Adrian and Jamie, thank you so much. Adrian, thank you. you're the best. Cheers, boys. All right. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Be well. Right. Take care. for listening to the Two Dot Chronicles, hosted by Bruce Huberman and Miles McIntyre as themselves. The show is produced and engineered by me, James Spavelko. Theme song and incidental music created by Spavelko Music Services. Have a question, suggestion, or just want to say hello? Drop us a message at 908-977-6481 or send us an email at two.media at gmail.com. That's T-W-O-D-O-T-M-E-D-I-A. It may be featured in a future episode. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to the Two Dot Chronicles. We upload a new episode every month. Look for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you find your podcasts. 